here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. <laughs> Meanwhile, how you doing? 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 All right, let's do it. You say go. You say that, but I don't know. I don't have faith at the moment. Welcome back, my friends, to the podcast that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside. Come inside. I am Joe Spiegel, and sitting across from me is the very unhealthy and wheezing. Sound like Darth Vader. <laughs> which, which version? Return of the Jedi. Mm. Dying on a ramp version. Oh, <laughs> I can never do. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah, no, that's not what I sound like. I, uh, All right, so this is our flicks of the week. Mine is going to be the 2016 Netflix original series Love. I'm going to talk about the first two seasons, which are available. So two seasons. Yeah. Why don't you just talk about one season? Because each season's only like 10 fucking episodes, so it's not it's not that big a deal. All right. You can breeze through the whole goddamn, the, all 10 episodes in what, about eight hours? So, not the biggie. Uh, all 10 episodes in eight hours? No, it's like 20 episodes, so. Yeah, each episode's like a half hour, so. Yeah. All right, what do you got? Uh, Jimmy, all is by, by my side. The documentary on Jimi Hendrix. Oh, that Jimmy. <laughs> Ooh, what a great audience. <laughs> the, what what Jimmy did you think I was going to talk about? I don't know. That Jimmy. Hmm. You, don't, you don't remember Jimmy? What a great audience. No, I, I don't. It's South Park. <laughs> God damn it, God damn it. All right. Man, you know what? I'm so glad that, that, that we have me on this side of the mic so that I could bring energy because you're so fucking right now with your... With your sickness, with your flu. I'm, you, I'm really glad that you like to break the fucking fourth wall with behind the scenes stuff, but gotta stop. I'm gonna cut that out. You know when it's just sound, it's uh there is no walls. There are no walls. It's as far as it'll take as far as the radio waves will go into the ethos. Alright. So uh yeah. I am going to talk about the uh <laughs> oh goddamn. I gotta get I'm still getting over a cold my goddamn self. All right, so the 2016 and 2017 uh, series Love, which has been uh, authorized for a third season, which will come out next year, is uh, it's produced by Judd Apatow Productions, or I'm sorry, Apatow Productions. Uh, he has a big hand in uh, getting the show written. Uh, most of the time he's not doing the writing, but it seems like he's always involved with the first episodes of the season and, and near the ends of the season. Uh and it stars Jillian Jacobs, who plays a character named Mickey, and another main character by a guy named Paul Rust, who his character's name is Gus. Um, at first, the show, the series starts off where Gus and Mickey are completely split from each other, and it's set in L.A. And Gus is a tutor for for young actors who are on film sets, so that he can tutor them while they're on set. And uh, Mickey works for a radio station for a uh, a weirdo uh, sex advice uh, uh, disc jockey, and uh, it the whole series is about their love uh, their relationships that they have. You know, uh, learning how to exist in a relationship, sex, uh, the past coming up, um, biting you in the ass, things like that. Uh, the show 
is very honest. Um, it, it it's funny. It's it's a comedy, of course, but it it, it never gets slapsticky, um, which you think it would do. Uh, it's very R-rated type uh, comedy. Doesn't seem to hold back on a lot of uh, avenues. Uh, what's interesting about the show is you see the, the the direction that these two characters' lives are going, and when they finally meet. Um, I think near the end of the pilot or or the second episode, uh, you uh, you you know that it's going to go on a you you're not sure what direction it's going to go, but it ends up going in that direction. It ends up going in the direction of of these two hooking up. And at first, it's like it starts off as a friend relationship because he's very nerdy. Gus is a very nerdy kind of guy. He's got a huge freaking nose, like a bird, like 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 uh, Michael Sarah might be his you know illegitimate father or something, and. And uh, Mickey, she is very, uh, she has baggage. Holy fuck. This girl has, I think she might have more baggage than my ex-wife. She is, she has so many ex-suitors. I mean, the, the fucking pilot starts off with with her sitting at home in her bed. And all of a sudden, her ex-boyfriend, played by a comedian Kyle Kinane, <laughs> pops in. Who looks fucking weird without his beard on. Holy shit. No wonder he has a beard now, because he looks fucking weird without it um he pops in the window and he he does this he's like the ex-boyfriend that they just you know whenever he shows up they booty call and and she she always feels ashamed about doing it with him but she's got like nothing better to do with her life so he guilt trips her into fucking having sex and and, and you know she feels like shit the next day and he goes off he has his mom come pick him up and shit and and, and it's like she'll just get, she'll fucking rip into him while his mom's in the car you know being all nice and shit like hi honey and all this stuff and um, what eventually ends up happening is, yeah, so her and Gus end up hooking up and their relationship is not the quote unquote normal TV series relationship. It, it has a lot of growing pains. I mean, by the time you hit the end of the second season, their relationship is like, um, you can't even call it a full boyfriend girlfriend relationship because each one has different expectations about what they want and where they're going. And, and, um, this show, um, hits me, um, emotionally in a, in a few parts and I'll get to that. Um, the baggage that Mickey brings with her is that she has, she feels worthless. Um, she feels very, um, because of her past and, and, and because of the way that she was raised because, uh, her father shows up in an episode, uh, played by Daniel Stern, and he is. Do you remember Daniel Stern's character from um, Born in East L.A.? How he was that 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 douchebag who would use. Um, no, I, I don't. But it's been a while since I've seen the movie. Yeah, so. he he was like he played like a douchebag who used uh, Cheech Marin's character. You know, down right. below, below the border and stuff. And anyway, he's very similar to that. Just picture that, but older and more fucking bitter about the world, right? Um, and so, in in one episode, it establishes why she is the way she is because of him and and she's an alcoholic she's trying to go she's going to aa and and you know trying to straighten her life out and she doesn't she does aa but she doesn't do the aa religious shit she just does the getting it off of her chest and having someone to talk to about it right um but she does she feels the dependency another way and her dependency that she feels instead of going to religion is she uses gus for emotional support and she guilt trips the shit. She manipulates him all the time, makes him feel guilty for when he wants to spend time with her. And him on the other end, him being a novice when it comes to relationships, 
uh, he does things where he's overprotective of her and tries to, um, you know, keep on her about her sobriety and stuff. And he does it a little too much and she can't handle it because she's still struggling with her own bullshit. Well, it comes to a head eventually. I don't want to give up too much, but it hits me because as someone who's been cheated on, especially when you're really into someone and they fucking destroy your world, it fucking hurts. And she does some shit behind his back that it's fucked up. And but at the same time, it's it's also not fucked up because they're not really together yet. They're they're they never call themselves boyfriend and girlfriend. It's like they're still trying to feel feel each other out, right? But he does this thing where he's he completely trusts her, and he's away for a little while because he has to go to another city. To, you know, with the with the the, the act, little actress he's with, which is played by the daughter of Judd Apatow in real life, and. Uh, and while he's there, she goes and she hooks up with an ex-boyfriend and stuff like that. And and it's fucked up because she seems to have no reservations about doing it. Like she's she has to constantly fill that void, you know, literally. And 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 so and then all of a sudden when reality's coming back, when she realizes, oh fuck, this ex-boyfriend is still an asshole, and this guy who I really like, who's really good to me, is coming back. You know, these two worlds are gonna fucking collide with each other. Um, so it hit me because I've been through that shit and it sucks. Um, so I see what she's putting him through without him even knowing it yet. And but they're not together. They they are together, but it, it's weird. It, it watch the show and you'll understand. Like he's not dating anyone else. He's dating her, and they're together for a couple months when all this shit is happening. And and uh, you know she's only seeing him when they, when he's in town. So it, it's. Like they oh, never. Oh, so the story now the story comes out. They never have the talk. They never have the talk about you know where the ground. So rules. she's but she's not cheating on him because he's out of town, right? Well, <laughs> the way that they act towards each other is like they are straight up boyfriend and girlfriend. I, I understand that. But it's like pretty much. It's like it's like the thing where you've been with someone for a while and all of a sudden you realize like, holy shit, we're boyfriend and girlfriend. That, that kind of thing. But let's go back to the basics here. What what Doctor Phil? They are dating. He doesn't live in town, or oh, no. he's not he's not in town often. No, no, no. There's only one time when he leaves, and he you ends. just said when he goes out of town or when he comes back from whatever. He's I doing. just meant that one time. Sorry, he left one time. He he's gone for three and a half weeks, and in that three and a half weeks is when she goes and sees the ex boyfriend. Okay, so they're not dating, but they kept they're in- dating. They're not. But I mean, well, it's and every night he's either staying at her place or she's staying at his. Okay. So I mean, that kind of establishes something there as well, and the fact that she yeah they have different apartments, <laughs> and and there's other no, I, yeah. you know I mean if you watch in all the show, sense of reality they yes if yeah if you watch the show you'll you'll see what I mean it, you know like I'm trying not to delve too deeply into it because it's it's a good show I know I, that's why I'm trying to keep it on the surface about yeah. the whole dating thing and. <laughs> I mean, excuse me. I got so into the show that when she starts doing this shit, and he's like innocently skyping her and still trying to see how she's doing and, and supporting her and everything while she's gone, while he's gone, I start getting pissed off when she's cheating on him. It's fucking. It started bugging the. Fu- I was like, there's a couple times where I like, I, I I didn't yell, but I I I scolded my television instead of watching it. So I'm like, you fucking bitch, quit fucking doing that shit. And so anyway, well, that's good. But it, it, but it's effective. It's very effective. It feels realistic because that's human beings. Human beings aren't, 
you know, oh, hey, this, this character's just drawn to be normal like this guy. And this, no, there's there's variables. And it's this, like TV shows that don't actually have the characters laughing when a joke is told. Yeah. And so they just kind of. Yeah, you know. exactly. <laughs> so, you know, this show is full of those variables and, and, and any, all these weird directions that shit can go. Um, there's other characters that are, um, you know, like the roommate of Mickey and, and she's pretty funny. Uh, there's, uh, in the apartments that Gus lives in, he's got these other characters that hang out um, that are, <laughs> they do really weird shit. Like one thing they want to do, they're all mu- musicians. So they meet up like once a week and they sing, they, they turn the name of a movie into a jingle um, that they write for it. Like they, like you could add it into the movie to be like, it would play like during the end credits or something, you know, and it has the title of the movie in it. And it's just dumb shit like that. It's, it's funny to watch because she's not into that shit. And Mickey's not into that. And Gus is. And so there's times where she's at a party with him and he's having a great time. He's finally loosening up and having a great time because he's always been inhibited. And she fucking can't stand it. She's just like, because she's, you know, she's a, she's a drug addict, right? So she's very fucking like latchy at times. And so when he's not doing what she wants, she gets fucking irritated. Does she eat a lot of candy or sugar? Uh, I don't think so. No. Then it's not a, por- a realistic portrayal of a drug addict. <laughs> well, she's always um, like she had to always uh, go out and have a smoke, or uh, she's like like when she gets into sobriety, when she starts to get into her sobriety, she starts smoking a lot more, which is you know that's more honest to the character. But um, and there's times where she has a couple relapses. Sugar is a big deal with with. Drug drug addicts. Oh, I bet, I bet. I, I can't, you know, recall because I'm, I'm not one. But you, you're probably right. So, um, anyway, the show is worth checking out. Like I said, the episodes aren't that long. They're usually the pilot's like 45 minutes, but every episode after that is between 25 and 30 minutes each. And it's on Netflix. So, boom, there you go. You can watch it anytime. And uh, I like it. I like love. It's um, it is a you know, like I said, it's an honest show to watch for the most part. And uh, next season will be coming up in about six months, I think. So, there you go. Uh, uh. Oh, do you like Bobby Lee? Meh. He, I mean, he's had his moments, right? Like when you see him in like Pineapple Express or Mad TV. He, um, he, yeah, Mad TV. Some of the stuff in Mad TV. Yeah. A lot of the stuff, actually. His character um, it only pops up a couple times because he works at the radio station with Mickey. There's one episode where she has to help him out with some of his bullshit. And I swear to God, the way all the shit plays out is like one of those side missions you have to do in Grand Theft Auto Five or something. It's fucking, it's funny. It's it's stupid. It brings in a, a character that's only in for like that episode or something. But it goes in these weird directions and you're just like, what the fuck is going on? And and, and you think that like the, the solution's already been, you know, done. And then all of a sudden another dilemma with it pops up. You're just like, what the fuck is going on? So it's, it's funny. Yeah, there's there's little like I said, that's one of the variables of the show is, you know, not every there's not a lot of predictability with it, which I really like. So check out the love, baby. I'll keep rambling too, just so you know. I know you will. That's why <laughs> I'm not saying anything until you're 100% done. All right, give me a second. Did I just talk for fucking 15 minutes about, or at least 14 minutes about love? You're still talking about it. No, I'm not talking about talking about love. <laughs> Does that make sense? No. Is that a fourth wall break? 
right. Jeff Bridges has plenty of regrets about The Giver. I've never seen it. Never seen The Giver. All I know is I'm getting a little tired of uh, Jeff Bridges with the fucking Southern accent. I get used to it. <laughs> yeah, apparently that's... Uh, I think he's just... He owns that persona now. All right. <coughs> Jimi Hendrix. So... I know I've been I'm supposed to watch your Mr. Brooks shit, but <laughs> <sighs> there's been some shit going on. It doesn't matter. It's I mean it's all unimportant, but I haven't I haven't been able I just haven't been able to dedicate time to I have it sitting right there mm-hmm. on my table. As a reminder. It's yeah. there. It's just I the working and whatever else and <sighs> long story short, I'll get to it, but I'm not going to tell you when or where. <laughs> I, dude, that's why I'm not asking about it. Nothing. Because I know if I ask about it, that probably adds at least three more weeks to you not watching it. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, nope. Yeah. I, I, I promise I'll watch it. It just. I know I, you will. I know eventually you will. I mean, because you like Kevin Costner. Not as much as I do, but you do. He's okay. And everyone loves William Hurt. He's okay. <laughs> God, we sound so fucking wheezy tonight. I know. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> 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 fucking deathbed confessions and shit. So I'm, I'm okay. All is all is by my side. All yeah, all is by my side is a, a like a documentary kind of of Jimi Hendrix, how he was uh, Jimmy James before he became Jimi Hendrix. His real name is James Marshall Hendrix. Um, he used to play for. A band called Curtis King mm-hmm. before he, and then he he also did a bunch of, you know, uh, wheeze. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they should call us, uh, the the brothers wheeze. <laughs> God damn oh, well, there's already a DJ called Brother Wheeze. Um, Jesus, I need a Darth Vader breathing suit. <laughs> I think you, I should try to find you a Bane one from uh, Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> <laughs> what am I tell you? <laughs> so they have to find one of us in the wreckage, brother. It's going to be you. <laughs> um, I'm trying to really. I mean, I'm. Look, this movie's not good. No, no. Well, I did notice that it's got like a sixty something um, percentage on, uh, which means, dude, if you break that down, that's a third. A third of the critics did not like this movie. So, I feel you, dog. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it starts off with Keith Richards' girlfriend seeing. And I, I missed a few moments at the beginning. Uh, seeing Jimi Hendrix playing on stage. She's played by. Um, she's got a weird uh, Imogene Poots. She is fucking cute. Yeah, she plays Linda Keith, which was a weird name, but she's a model. She was British. She's wealthy British ancestry and shit like that. Uh-huh. She was was Keith Richards' girlfriend at the time, and apparently in the movie she gives Jimi Hendrix one of Keith Richards' guitars. Okay, but here's here's the problem that I have with the movie at the beginning. So she goes and she becomes very very interested in in seeing Jimi Hendrix play and. As 
as you're watching this whole documentary style, there are parts where they're having conversations, right? Yeah. And it'll cut away, and you can still hear the conversation that Jimmy and 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 Imogene is is having. Yeah. And then it'll cut back, and then you see them smiling and laughing as the conversation begin continues. But there's no di- They're not talking about that. So it's a weird it's a weird way to cut the film. Okay. <coughs> as as uh, as so it goes in and out of context in a way. No, it doesn't go in and out of context. It just can it the way that it's edited jumps around and it's it's like when you're watching Star Wars mm-hmm. since <laughs> everybody can relate to Star Wars that's why I'm using it on purpose yeah and there's a conversation between Owen and Brew okay and then you would cut while that conversation is still happening mm-hmm. the voiceover still going on to Luke. Talking to the robots, yeah. and you don't hear Luke really talking, and then you cut back to another scene where Owen and Beru are just standing there doing nothing, yeah, and the conversation continues. Okay. And then it cuts back to them talking again. Yeah. <coughs> That's what I'm talking about. Okay. It's very, very disjointed, but Andre 3000... Really, really sounds like Jimi Hendrix. Does he? Yeah, he's he's got that whole cadence down. If you listen to any Jimi Hendrix, the way he sings, or yeah. the the way the way that his voice is, and you know, hey man, yeah. it's all cool. After, yeah, after seeing Andre Benjamin and Be Cool, I was actually anticipating to see him come up and and, and be an actor and see all the because he had range. I mean, the dude's got great style. He's a little off the over the top at times, but. I, I was yeah I was like dude this guy can fucking he you can tell he's one of those guys that brings his A game to everything he does so I I want you know hearing him play Jimi Hendrix that sounds like he could do that shit and but yet as you can tell it, don't hear anything else about it do you right so um, a lot of there's a lot of controversy surrounding this film uh, a lot of Hendrix's friends don't like the film uh-huh. it's largely fictitious the, the, this includes scenes depicting a fictionalized Hendrix violently and repeatedly beating Etchingham played by Haley Atwell in interviews given at the time of the film's release Etchingham described Hendrix as a gentle man in the time she spent with him some of the best years of her life um, this movie also has Ruth Nega in it as kind of a a dissenter one uh-huh. that gets in his ear yeah you know um, does she Yoko Ono him no Kathy Etchingham was born in Derby, the daughter of Charles Etchingham, an Irishman from Dublin. Uh-huh. Um, she became a DJ at the Cromwellian Club in Kensington and later uh, at the Scotch of St. James. <coughs> she knew everyone from the Animals to the Moody Blues, the Move, the Kinks, the Who, and these bands are instrumental in what became the 1960s version of the British Invasion, or, ver- or first version of the British Invasion. Yeah. She met Jimi Hendrix at age 20 on the night of his arrival in London. They became a couple during the time of his rise to stardom. Etchingham was inspired for many of Hendrix's compositions, including The Wind Cries Mary, uh, penned after an argument between him and her, Foxy Lady, um, 
1983, A Merman I Shouldn't Be Turned To, and in Send My Love to Linda, the original lyrics were Send My Love to Kathy. Um, in 1969, she and Hendrix drifted apart, and later he obviously died. Um, there isn't too much in here. She says that... Um, I want him to be remembered for what he was, not this tragic figure that he's been turned into by nitpickers and people who used to stalk us and collect photographs and evidence of what we were doing on a certain day. He could be grumpy and he could be in the studio getting exactly what he wanted, but he was fun. He was charming. I want people to remember the man I knew. Okay, so that you know what it sounds like <laughs> to me? It sounds like when someone dies and then everyone calls him, oh, he was a saint. Is that I think that that's kind of the thing. Like, don't bad mouth the dog. That's what I think. Well, she's definitely not saying he was a saint. He can be grumpy and he can be terrible in the studio getting exactly what he wanted, but he was fun. He was charming. I want yeah. people to remember the man I knew. Yeah, she gives a little bit. She tells us he was grumpy. Grumpy across your face. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, dude. <laughs> The, book, the the fucking documentary is garbage. Okay. It's, uh... But it's supposed to look like a movie documentary, right? Like, <coughs> yeah, it's awful. Like, they don't use any of Hendrix's songs because the Jimi Hendrix estate didn't want it in there. Uh-huh. Um, this is... The film is set in London between 66 and 67. Um... Includes the songs that Hendrix performed during those years, shortly before the release of his release of his debut album "Are You Experienced." All musical parts were played by Wadi Wachtel, Leland Sklar, and Kenny Aronoff, who does a lot of drumming sessions for everybody. He's a good dude. Um, <coughs> Hendrix, Hendrix was a weird dude. Like he didn't want anybody watching him while he sang because he felt too exposed. So he would literally put up these blinders around so that when he sang, he would be by himself singing into the mic with his guitar. So I think everyone has their own little personal insecurities about things. So yeah. Yeah, it is. But um, I don't, I give this fucking film, it's an average rating of 6 out of 10 based on 78 reviews. It's uneven and it lacks the primal power of its subject's classic recordings, but there's, there's like two or three moments in this movie. The first one is when he's at, I think it's it's not the Cheetah Club, but it's in New York. It's one of the clubs. And you see him playing with Curtis King. Yeah. And he does his solo and whatever else. And that was amazing. And then when he goes to London and you see him playing an acoustic guitar. And that was amazing. But the most amazing part was this... Jimi Hendrix did this. Hendrix. Um, there we go. Jimi Hendrix did Sgt. Pepper's. Um, I don't know if it's anybody who was anybody was there that night including Eric Clapton, George Harrison. All the Beatles were there. The Who, Keith Richards. Andy Warhol. (laughs) Most of the Stones, probably Andy Warhol. Anybody who was anybody was there, and Jimi Hendrix came on stage and opened up his show with Sgt. Pepper's. Yeah. 
I don't know. Watch out for your ears. It was not filmed. Everybody talks about But this is the this is what they used pretty much for um, the concert footage for the Seville. Uh-huh. Two days after the supposedly two days after the album was released. Yeah. Him and his guys, his Mitch and Noel, got together, right at the uh, right at the back of right at the back of the Seville Theater, and Jimi Hendrix brings in the album and says, "I want to play song one, side one." And they're like, "Dude, this fucking album came out two days ago." He goes, "Yeah, play it in the key of A, key of A." And they said, "I don't want to play this because those guys are out in the audience." He goes. And then they're like, what if it's what if it turns out to be bad? He goes, Then then don't suck. <laughs> don't play it bad. <laughs> Maximum effort, right? <laughs> Maximum effort. <laughs> they went out there and fucking blew the doors off of everybody. They nobody expected them to go out and play Sergeant Peppers. And when they did, everybody got uncomfortable because it's like you're treading on Yeah. Hallow ground, right? Yeah. And it's, and then fucking apparently, um, well, they didn't like it at first. And then it, as soon as they realized what he was doing, uh, they, they they started getting into it. There's another one where uh, Hendrix played at the Eric Clapton concert. This is actually the scene right here, maybe. So, 1966. But... It shows Eric Clapton getting pissed off and storming off stage, and I've heard different stories about this. Mm-hmm. That 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 Hendrix got everybody knew who Hendrix was already, and that Yeah, it was a. I'm oh, sorry. It was a. It was a cream. It was a cream concert. Okay. But as it goes, I can't get behind this movie. Yeah, Clapton and Hendrix met before with T- Pete Townsend. Jack Bruce didn't play with them because Hendrix used Bruce's amp. Clapton played the full guitar back then, which was a Gibson SG. Jack Bruce played the Gibson SG bass. Or the Dan Electro. They played Killing Floor and not Manish Boy by Muddy Waters. And this guy thinks it's a good movie. It's not. This is not a good movie. And the fact of the matter that it doesn't have any Jimi Hendrix songs, it it, it doesn't even have good reproductions of Jimi Hendrix songs, it sounds like. It feels like. It just feels Dude, hastily put together. I remember us talking about this movie before it came out five, almost five years ago. Like when we first started doing this shit 
you talked about this movie. Like you hadn't seen it yet. It was like the I wanted to see it because I saw the trailer. It was the news about it, and you said that you go, "Why the fuck am I going to want to see this when it's not even?" They're having this problem with not getting any of the music, actual music, right, in the movie. You know, dude. Holy, because while you're talking about, it, I'm like, dude, this sounds so fucking familiar. So uh, yeah, that's our, our damn. That was a long time ago, but yeah. So yeah, long story short. I can't get behind it. It's not a 60% movie. It's a 30% movie. Maybe 35. Three and a half out of 10. Okay. You know? and it's not like a wasted effort. Yeah, it's a complete wasted effort. Here's And here's the other problem. See, the guy should have, the documentary should have focused on him playing through the Monterey Pop Festival. Yep. And if they couldn't do the Monterey Pop Festival, then what you fucking do is you start the movie off with Jimi Hendrix walking on stage at the Monterey Pop Festival and he has his guitar, right? And mm-hmm. he raises up his hand or whatever he did in the first song and he hits that first note and then you cut away. And then as you go through the entire movie, you end, and this is how it ends. It ends with them in San Francisco walking through a doorway into the light, right? Well, what they should have done is ended the movie with them walking backstage at the Monterey Pop Festival. That's how they should have done it. Okay. Full circle. Everything is good. It would have made the movie a little bit better, but for the most part, I mean, it, it felt forced. It did. Yeah, it felt forced and like we were given, being given um, a lecture. That's a re- what it felt a, like. A reenactment? No, a lecture. Okay. So I, I bet you've been asked this because you're, you're a music guy. <laughs> have you ever been asked who is a better who's the better um, you know musician Clapton or Hendrix that's all subjective bro and <laughs> I mean I have my favorites I think Clapton's okay never been a big fan of Jimi Hendrix but it doesn't matter to me my response was when someone asked me that one time in a conversation what my opinion was um which is limited because I haven't heard a lot. I, I didn't hear a lot about Clapton at the time, but I also didn't hear only only Jimi Hendrix I ever heard was what they ever they played in Under Siege or fucking yeah. on the radio the safe shit right, you know. So I didn't have a lot to base on. I, I have seen I've seen footage of him play and all that other shit. So I know the motherfucker was awesome. I saw him be awesome on you know on, on TV. But still, my my opinion was this. Clapton has been around for decades to establish himself as one of the greatest guitarists of all time. Hendrix wasn't around that long. So it's hard to compare the two. No, it's not. I, I'm Motherfucker, you just said subjective. Let me finish my opinion. I understand, but it's not hard let, to compare them to. Let me finish my opinion. Hendrix was not around a long, long enough, in my opinion, to, to establish himself as a rock god. No, it's wrong. You're absolutely opinion. wrong. The dude was around for... I knew... Fuck, I knew you would do this. Let me this. finish. The dude was around for at least... 15 years. 15 years in the music scene. Did he die in the early 70s? Yeah. He was around for 15... It's not like he magically appeared. Or he was magically delicious. Right. It's not like some fucking wizard magicked up Jimi Hendrix and placed him from Seattle into New York. Jimi Hendrix has been around. He was in the army. Played all over the place. He had a fucking recording contract before he went to London. Okay. So he had been established already, bro. Well, it's just like with Nirvana. They had like two fucking albums before they made it big. Yeah. They've they've also, they had also been around for 20 years before that. They were not around for 20 years. Okay. Kurt Cobain was in his fucking early 30s when he died. Uh-huh. 
or late? No, he was twenty-seven. He's part of the twenty-seven club, wasn't he? Oh, you may be right. Nirvana <laughs> did around twenty years. I know that they did two albums. Well, like actually, I'm not. I'm not far off. <coughs> Generally, when people fucking get together, uh, they've been together since they were like ten or eleven or twelve years old. Diamond Dime Daryl and his brother Garage Abbott. Bands, yeah. Were were sixteen years old when they f- recorded their first album. Oh, I bet I know, like NWA and shit. When they were they were rapping when they were fucking sixteen and seventeen and shit. I, I know, I know so, early bands and. So by my seeing, they've been around for twenty years. It's not that far of a stretch. I'm talking about like establishing themselves as as a known popular band. Uh, I just need this. Eighty-seven. Uh, yeah. Oh, I know because they were doing. Uh, they were. Yeah, they did like one or two albums before their big album, and they actually even redid some songs from their first two albums and put them on in their newer albums, like "Polly Want a Cracker." Polly wants cracker. So, yeah. Here we go. Group formed in 1985 by Cobain. 19, see, it's called Fecal Matter. Uh, uh, with the Melvins. Hmm. Along with Dale Crover of the Melvins and drummer Greg Hawkinson. Uh, Melvins member Buzz Osborne and Mike Dillard appeared in a later version of the band. Interesting. This sounds petty, and it is. But once you said that the name 12. of the band was Fecal Matter, I, I lost all fucking interest. Oh, no. I'm right there with you. <laughs> I I didn't even care. God. That's like naming your band Chunky Vomit. <laughs> yeah. Dude, draw a line somewhere, please. <laughs> Look at that band Rancid. I, I'm glad they didn't add anything else to their name. Anal cunt. <laughs> rancid maggots. Oh, rancid mayonnaise. So yeah, ninety four. Yeah, but yeah, thinks whole. <laughs> Long story short, is you know with with Jimi Hendrix and Eric Clapton, uh-huh. and Jimi had been around for quite a while before, you know, and he. May not be fifteen years. So. Do you remember the uh, the argument between Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson about Jimi Hendrix no. in White Man Can't Jump? <laughs> Whole damn band is white except for Jimmy. <laughs> that is a lie, man. <laughs> he goes, he goes. Jimi Hendrix did not have a white rhythm section. All right, from 1962 to 1970, but he had been playing since he was 15. Yeah, 27, shit. But yeah, yeah. Well, dude, someone as good as him, you know, he was someone that that that. Uh, well, no, he started. He moved to Clarksville, Tennessee, and earned earned a place in the Isley Brothers backing band, and then later with Little Richard. Did he did he um, take the last train? Yeah, that's because that's the monkeys. <laughs> it was a Stop joke. it! Stop it! Stop it. Don't get all serious because it's music. Appropriate dude. places for appropriate jokes. I'm, I joke all the fucking time. I understand that, but that didn't even make any sense. You said Clarksville. 
Did he take the last trade? Stop it. <laughs> I fucking hate your puns. <laughs> Curtis Knight, and then he discovered Linda Keith, who turned... In, who in turn interested base Chaz Chandler of the animals become the first manager. This is, and this is from Curtis Knight with Chaz Chandler and then Hey Joe Purple Haze and When Cries Mary and then the Monterey Pop Festival. But mm. again, music is subjective. God damn. Who the fuck is calling? Cora. You want to pause for a quickie? Of course. Win this shit. So, yeah, music is subjective with Clapton and Hendrix and all this other stuff. So, again, I mean, like, I love Zeppelin. My brother fucking hates him because he calls them song thieves. Okay. Like, well, who wasn't during that time? Really? So that's just that's just something that I disagree with and, you know, move on. Um, as far as who I like better, I like Clapton better. I never got into Jimi Hendrix, but there are some songs that he's done that are just fucking incredible. Mm. So that's what I got. Yeah, you notice the skills. You ain't into, you ain't into all of them, but you notice the skills. I, I I get it. Right. All right. So yeah, fuck. He died from choking on his own vomit, didn't he? Choked on somebody's vomit. Uh, <laughs> that's even grosser. <laughs> it's like in Spinal Tap. Uh, all right, all right. So uh, I I don't have anything to add uh, to news or anything unless you want you got something you want to yap about. No. This one. Uh, uh, September 17, 1970 in London with Monica Dan Daneman. The only witness to his final hours, Daneman said that she prepared a meal for him in the Samarkand Hotel, 22 lands down Crescent Hill, Notting, Crescent, Notting Hill. Sometime around 11, when they shared a bottle of wine, she drove Hendrix to the residence of an acquaintance where she remained for an hour before she picked him up and drove them back to her flat at 3 in the morning. Um, they talked around 7 a.m. when they went to sleep. She woke up at 11, found Hendrix breathing, but unconscious and unresponsive. And then 15 minutes later, she called for an ambulance. Paramedics then transported Hendrix to St. Mary's, where Dr. John Bannister pronounced him dead an hour or so later. To determine the cause of death, coroner Gavin Thurston ordered a postmortem, which was performed on September 21st. Uh, let's see. Hendrix aspirated his own vomit and died of asphyxia while intoxicated with barbiturates. Insufficient evidence of the circumstances, he then he declared an open verdict. Daneman later revealed that Hendrix had taken nine of her prescribed Vesperix sleeping tablets 18 times the recommended dosage. There you go. She killed him. <laughs> well, I... Damn. Yeah, people like her are fucking pieces of garbage. They're groupie hangers on. That yeah, all they want to do they is just, just go from one to the other. Sycophants or whatever you call them. Yep. So, anyways, as far as anything else, I don't have anything else. Do you ever have stupid thoughts about um, certain things? Like, uh, if you like, for example, like when I saw that picture of that lady that that's now seventy years old, the one that you know that was. That talked about him, you know how he was, he how he was improperly portrayed in the movie, right? I I first thing I noticed when I saw her, Linda Keith, was all I pictured was, oh well, Jimi Hendrix had his dick in her mouth. Okay, <laughs> and then so every time I look at Priscilla Presley's, like when I watch the Naked Gun, I'm like Elvis had his cock in there. That's uh -huh. right, that's right. It danced on there. <laughs> okay, dude, fuck, man. I'm not in the mood, dude. I, I can tell. I, that's why I'm here to, 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 to stupid things. Generally, generally the stupidity will fucking make me laugh, but not tonight. I, <laughs> uh. 
All right. So I'm going to say good night. Right. Good night. Bye-bye. Good show. Jolly good show. Jolly good show indeed. Hakuna Matata, bitches. <laughs> Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out at a coupleofaveragejoes.com. And please make sure that you leave a comment and share the podcast. That would be awesome. Have a good night. This is the end. This is the end. The end, I tell you. We're all going to nibble the dust. Or go fuck yourself.